As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Recently, I have become obsessed with the TV show Dallas Cowboys Cheerleaders Making the Team. I love it for the drama of the show, and the dancer in me really loves it because all of the dancing. But the biggest part of me loves it because those girls are doing something I was never brave enough to do. When I was a senior in high school, I received a tryout invitation to a Division One school for their dance team. I debated on going. I really and truly did. But the homebody in me just couldn't leave my parents and family to pursue that dream. So I settled for a small college with a tinier dance team instead. Dancing for a team like the Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders is always a dream for literally every dancer. My brother pushed me to consider trying out. He ensured me that he knew I had what it took to make the team. But I could never make the jump to move that far away from home. And I was and honestly still am jealous of all the girls who are brave enough to live out their wildest dreams. In our story today, we meet a young girl who, like many of us at 17, had big dreams. She wanted more than her small life, and she was willing to do anything to achieve her dreams. She moved away from home and made some questionable career moves, all to make it to New York City. Sadly, she would fall short of her dream. This is the story of Beth Ellen Finson. Welcome to Coffee and Cases, where we like our coffee hot and our cases cold. My name is Allison Williams. And my name is Maggie Dameron. We will be telling stories each week in the hopes that someone out there with any information concerning the case will take those tips to law enforcement so justice and closure can be brought to these families. With each case, we encourage you to continue in the conversation on our Facebook page, Coffee and Cases Podcast. And to follow us on Instagram at Coffee Cases Podcast and on TikTok at Coffee and Cases Podcast. Because as these families know, conversation helps to keep their missing family member in the public consciousness, helping to keep their memories alive. So sit back, sip your coffee, and listen to what's brewing this week. Okay, Maggie, I, I promise I'm not going to talk to you about this each week, but... I have to bring up Crime Door again. Okay. <laughs> because 
Again, my obsession continues. So, Sleuth Hounds, if you don't know this about, like, I get fixated on something like this, and then I can't let it go. But, like, let me explain to you why. Are you ready? I'm ready. Because they write freaking awesome descriptions of their cases. Like, I'm just scrolling through the cases on Crime Door that they just recently posted. And here are some of the descriptions. And if this doesn't draw you in, I don't know what will. Mother Mrs. Dinner vanishes. That's hmm. why. Pregnant woman found dead in barrel. That's another that, one. I got a notification about that one, and I want to check that one out. Yeah. Woman's mummified corpse found in trunk. Oh, my. Woman disappears while on phone call. That seems kind of difficult. Woman strangled with sweatpants. Like, these are the descriptions. <laughs> and so every single one of them, I'm like, mm, I kind of need to read that right now. <laughs> I need to read it. Need to read it. Need to read it. Right. Exactly. And then, of course, you know, I get excited when I see a case that you know, we've covered and then I see us on there again listed like Rico Harris. I'm like, oh, there we are. <laughs> and then I get all excited. <laughs> oh, goodness. It's okay. Obsessions are okay in, in, uh, for stuff like this. Yeah, exactly. In moderation. That's the word I'm looking for. There you <laughs> okay. Go. Sorry, Maggie. I'm ready for your show. <laughs> okay. So, Sleuth Hounds, you may have noticed if you follow us on social media that Allison and I have posted um, a very important question, and we've talked about it um, in the show maybe a couple times, but again, we're just coming to you guys and wanting your input and your kind of feedback on where you want to see um, Coffee and Cases head in the future. Um, So, because Allison and I have taken on, like, I guess this like initiative to cover some lesser known cases. Um, as we mentioned, that can cause a, you know, pose a problem when we're researching because there's not always as much research on like a local small missing persons case as there is something that gained a lot of national attention. Right. So we want to know, would you guys prefer us to stay as we normally do like 40 to 50 55 minute shows and then just like throw in a couple of like 20 or 30 minute episodes like in a, in the regular rotation or would you want us to just keep every week is like the 50 minute show but we could offer like a Patreon package um, that would give you like the 20 to 30 minute kind of like mini episodes. Right. And that's pretty common. And that's that would be, as Maggie said, additional content. So we would still have our weekly every Thursday episode and then offer those shorter episodes via something like Patreon. Right. So if you love coffee and cases, um, please go on to uh, I think they're on all of our social media accounts and just kind of let us know the direction you would like to see us head with this idea. Absolutely. Yeah, I know it's on I know it's on our Facebook page, our Coffee and Cases podcast Facebook page, and I know it's on our TikTok. So I know it's on at least those two 
social media channels. So yes, absolutely, Sleuth Hounds, go on one of those this week and let us know which you would prefer. Yes, and that brings us into um, today's episode. And Allison, today we are going to be talking about one of the longest running cold cases, which was really hard for me to say just then, in (laughs) Raleigh, North Carolina. Okay. And today's episode, like, it's so, like, it's eerie. It's going to sound scary familiar, like, so many similarities to our episode 63. Like, the Paige Rinkowski? Yes. So many. Okay, maybe there's not so many similarities, but it's enough that like when I was researching it, like I thought I was accidentally like, researching the same case. Yeah. Wow. Yes. And I'm like anxious to see if you pick up on. The similarity. Okay, yeah. I'm ready. I'm yes. ready. Um, so... Beth Ellen, and that's what I've, like, she must have been, like, a first and middle namer. Mm -hmm. Most places I saw, she went, like, they referred to her as Beth Ellen. Um, She was 17, and she had big plans for her life back in 1994. So, she knew exactly what she wanted to do and when she wanted to do it. So, she had life figured out, or at least she thought she did. Like most 17-year-olds, Beth Ellen did not see eye-to-eye with her parents, who also had big plans for her. And Beth Ellen's mom and dad, just like most parents, longed to see her graduate high school before leaving the nest. Um, And they had even, like, kind of bribed her to follow their plan before starting out on her own. But Mm -hmm. she just couldn't wait any longer to start on this journey that she had in mind for herself. She knew that she wanted to make it on Broadway. Um, They had said, you know, like, if you graduate high school, we'll pay for an apartment for you um, in New York City. And she just couldn't wait. Oh, no. So she left before? Yes. So she leaves home, like drops out of high school, despite her parents' efforts to keep her there. And she moves to Raleigh, North Carolina, I guess, as like kind of like a halfway point in pursuing her career to eventually make it to New York City. Maggie, I see so many kids who are like, I just, I just urge my kids, any who want to drop out, even if they could make it in something like this, I'm always like, get your high school diploma. So you got the backup plan. Yeah. And I mean, I have that conversation with my seventh grade kids because, you know, at that age, they don't, some of them don't really understand like, you know, what it takes to survive in the world. Right. And so I try to tell them, you know, like at least have that to fall back on. And I think Beth's parents tried to have the same conversation, but she was just really stubborn and just like went against what they had in mind for her. I feel like that happens quite often though. I mean, I see it a lot as a high school teacher that like the students will have the very, um, idealistic, like, view of what life is going to be like and, you know, that they're going to be able to do what they love and still make enough money to live. <laughs> and, you know, yes. and the parents are like, let's take the more practical career. And that's mm-hmm. hard because, I mean, I totally get it. I mean, we're, heck, we're teachers and that's not even necessarily a quote unquote, quote, practical career because our salaries yeah. are very 
high, especially compared to our student loans. Yeah, true that. But, but like I get, I get her excitement and her drive and I think her drive is admirable, but I get where her parents were coming from. And as a parent, I probably would have been pretty upset if my child, you know, dropped out with just that little time left. Moving away from home, just like you said, was a lot harder for Beth Ellen than what she thought it would be. Um, She quickly learned that making her dream come true, like making it onto Broadway, would be much harder than she ever could have thought. So while her parents thought that she was working at a local grocery store to earn money and pay her bills, Beth Ellen was actually working as a dancer in an escort service, a fact that would later end up crushing her parents. Mm. That's like a dangerous position, I think. Now, I think especially at 17. Right. I totally get that you're going to make a lot more money than at a grocery store. True, but, but I don't really think that she did, though, because I think oh, she was really? struggling to make um, ends meet how she thought she was going to be able to with this mm. career. Right. Um, she was often called to hotels to dance for clients. And on the night that she disappeared, that's exactly what happened. So she and her boyfriend, Rick, were watching a movie in her apartment near. Well, actually, you know, I don't really know. I never could find if it was like their apartment together or just his apartment. Like I, what I'm not for sure. Like, okay. What her living in apartment. Yes. And um, it's was near North Carolina state university on August the 16th, 1994. So she's called for a job. He knows that she's like an exotic dancer. And so she leaves around two 30 in the morning to head to the innkeeper hotel, but she never made it there. Man. Again, this makes me nervous, even just no matter what your job is, leaving at 2.30 in the morning. Yeah, and like she hadn't even been in Raleigh all that long. Like I'm wanting to say, if I can remember correctly, just a couple weeks. Oh, gosh. Yeah, so it's not like she was there for a while. It was just a couple weeks. Um, And actually, three hours after she leaves the apartment, police are called to go check out like an abandoned car and they find a white 1990 Mazda 626 in front of a car dealership on Capitol Boulevard and it's like kind of near some warehouses and kind of like hidden from the road Um, and that car Mm. belonged to Beth Ellen Vinson but this car I'm guessing is nowhere near the innkeeper hotel no Hmm. and you know while this may sound weird you know that you come upon like an abandoned car For the purposes of our show, finding an abandoned car in front of a car dealership isn't the oddest thing that we have ever talked about. True. Um, But the condition of, or I guess the condition they found her car in was odd. Odd how? So, Allison, Beth's car was found. Are you ready for this? Yep. With the engine running. So just like Patron Koski's. Yes. The door, like the driver's side door, open. Hmm. The radio blaring. So obviously 
This was not like flat tire or some reason why the car was left there. Yes. Like it was left in a hurry. Yes. And it appeared that um, all of Beth's personal possessions were in the car, like all of her clothes, things she had taken when she'd moved out of her parents' house. And the most disturbing part is that a single shoe was left behind on the floor on the driver's side. Which tells you this was not voluntary. Yes. And just for comparison's sake, I went to the script for the page episode that we did. Mm -hmm. And I literally wrote, Paige's shoes were left in the car. Her purse and wallet still inside. Her wallet was full of money. There were personal items, including important looking papers, also left in the car. What's even... What's more strange is Paige's silver Oldsmobile was idling with the keys in the ignition, light and radio on, and then the open beer can in the seat. And Paige was nowhere to be found, and neither was Beth. Like, the similarities in this, though. Yeah, that is creepy. Hopefully this time, though, the police aren't going to be like, oh, let's just have it towed somewhere. (laughs) Hopefully they view this one as a crime scene. Yes, and I thought it was weird because Paige's case was one of Michigan's longest-running cold cases. Yep, and this is right. one of Raleigh, North Carolina's longest-running cold cases. Hmm. So, like, am I making connections that aren't, like, there? Or could I be onto something? Hmm. You're the super sleuth. Yes. So, anyways, <laughs> back to today's story. Besides the fact that we know how the story ends, like, I don't think to an investigator coming upon an abandoned car at a car dealership would be, like, super off-putting. We've talked right. about the fact that we as humans rationalize things. So, in my mind, if I were a police officer responding to a report about an abandoned car that is still running, I could totally see myself just thinking, like, the driver must only be, like, a few feet away. Maybe they're, you know, needed to get up and stretch their legs. They were sleepy. Um, Maybe they had a flat tire and walked to get help. Because, you know, this was 1994, so it's not like we had the cell phones of today. But there were no flat tires on the car. It literally looked like someone just, like, got up and walked away minus the shoe. Minus a shoe, which is what, again, immediately I was like, mm, that should tell law enforcement that wherever the driver went, it was not a voluntary action because you wouldn't leave a single shoe behind. I'm just saying. Right. Like, I'm going to go, but I'm only wearing one of my shoes. Like, I know yeah. I'm going to do that. I'm going to play hopscotch on one leg while I walk around the car. Yeah, you, you're <laughs> not going to do that. <laughs> I don't like my left shoe. I'm only right. wearing my right. right one. Right. Let's just leave it behind. Yeah. Um, police are able to determine, obviously, who the car belongs to. Um, and I am going to kind of circle back to how they find that out here in a minute because oh. it's weird. Really? Like not just running the license plate? Okay. No, I'm intrigued. No. Okay. So they were unable to, so they knew who the car belonged to, but they were unable to find Beth Ellen. That was until seven days later when Beth Ellen's body was found covered by a single piece of cardboard by a factory manager about half a mile from the car lot where her car had been found. Mm. 
So pretty close to the scene where her car was. Uh, could they tell, like, did it happen that night then? I'm guessing since it's so close. You know, um, in all of the research that I read, I did not see where it's been released that they determined at what point she died, like officially. But mm-hmm. I would guess yes, because here in a little bit, um, like I talk about like how badly decomposed she was. So I'm going to okay. guess yes. Yeah. Um, so Paige had actually been stabbed multiple times. In fact, in a documentary that I watched called NC Unsolved, when Beth's father called to talk to police, um, I guess he just did like daily like checkups on the case or on like her whereabouts. Mm-hmm. He was told that they had found a body, um, but that he could not come identify the body because that was like the first question that he asked. And in the interview, he said that police told him Beth Ellen's body was too badly decomposed and that she was nearly unrecognizable because I guess it had been raining almost every day since she disappeared and it was super, super hot. So those two factors accelerated the rate of decomposition. They didn't have her dad identify her. Did they use like fingerprints or DNA or like, how did they know that this was her? I actually didn't read anywhere online that it came out and said how she was identified I don't know like I don't think that she was so badly decomposed that they wouldn't be able to tell that it was her I think the main reason that they didn't want the dad to identify her wasn't necessarily that she was so decomposed I think it's the fact that she was stabbed over 15 times wow Yes, and her stab wounds were described as, quote, violent and heavy. It's what what her dad said that investigators told him. So I think that's the reason that he wasn't permitted to identify the body. Which tells me, see, that seems personal. I know, and I talk about, like, That's what I think, too. Like, and I'll talk about there really are only like two suspects that or possible suspects that people have talked about. But Mm -hmm. like if you stab someone 15 times, like you're angry about something. Yeah. And especially with the violent and heavy. I just. I don't know. Yeah. And like like it just leaves us wondering who killed her and really the biggest question is why did they kill her because it's yeah, not she's only been there a couple of weeks right so a lot of people think that maybe beth was just in the wrong place at the wrong time um she was killed by somebody she didn't know like maybe she like had to pull over and this person pulled over and there was like a scuffle type thing but the predominant amount of people that are familiar with this case will tell you that it was they believe either her boyfriend or the man that had paid for her services. Hmm. I know. I'm not sure how I feel about those theories yet, but I need you to tell me about them. So we'll talk in a minute. Well, and police, they do investigate both. So first they obviously investigate the boyfriend, Rick. Um, Rick fails a polygraph test. I feel like again, we say that so many times. And I know. 
makes me feel guilt, but I shouldn't feel that way because they're not accurate. Right. And that's what one of the investigators said. Um, His name is John Lynch. He actually said, like, big deal. He failed this polygraph test. You know, all of the motions he was going for, through at that time didn't make him a good subject for a polygraph. Um, so just like in the Lee Ochi case and the mom failed her polygraph test, like they can say, oh, well, it was like given to me right after I found out that my child or right. my significant other was missing. But like stress is factored into the polygraph test. So like I just don't ever really buy that excuse but Mm -hmm. i'm not a professional so what do i know has he ever been arrested for involvement no and not that i could find had he ever really been named like an official person of interest so okay but i do think that rick does some really fishy things directly after beth's disappearance that kind of make you stop and Think for a couple seconds. Okay. The strength, I'm nervous. It's weird. Like some of this case is just weird. So the strangest thing that he did, in my opinion, like not, was not failing the polygraph test. The strangest thing that he did was the fact that he showed up at the car lot while police were investigating the report of an abandoned car in that lot. So, like, before he even knows, before this car is even identified, please do not tell me this is how they knew it was her car. Yes, it's how they knew it was her car. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, that that's weird, especially if, as you said, it is, like, off the beaten path, like, not on, you know, because, like, tucked away a little bit, then this is not just happenstance, like, oh, I just happened to drive by here at 3 30 in the morning oh at at 3 30 <laughs> in the morning and just happened to see my girlfriend's car and you know police looking at it so he tells police that he's actually out searching for beth and that's uh, how he stumbled upon the car because she's been missing for like three hours at this point but the, he, she hasn't. Well, she's been gone. I guess I should say she's been gone from his apartment for about three hours. So but maybe he knew where worried. she was going. Like, I'm sure right. that's not like a, let me go in. Oh, two minutes later, I'm leaving. Right. That's, that's what I thought too. And like, the weird thing is like, he knows she's going to this like innkeeper motel place. Yeah. So why would, why would he, that's. Good point, Maggie, because that's why I said, is the place where her car was anywhere near the innkeeper hotel? And you said no. It's actually from some things that I read and some like videos I watched in the opposite direction. Like he would have needed to go. I can't remember. Like he would have needed to go like south, for example, on this road. And her car was found like on the north side of the road. So if he knew that she was at this innkeeper hotel, like he wouldn't have been going by her car. And police say like, even if he had been driving the direction where her car was located, like he wouldn't be able to see her car from the road. Like as he's driving to say like, holy crap, I need to pull over. That's Beth's car. Okay. This is super fishy. I know. And super like, fishy. 
police probably know more than we do, but like that alone to me was just, just bizarre. So like makes you think, okay, if he didn't do it, he was involved in it because why would you drive? If I'm supposed to be like driving to my parents' house, which is Northeast from where I live. And all of a sudden Rodney's like driving South to Atlanta. And it's like, ah, I'm just looking for Allison, like just wondering where she was. And then my car happens to be there when I'm supposed to be at my mom's. Yeah, that's that's like, I don't know. I don't have a good feeling. No, and that's not the only thing that like kind of makes you stop for a second about him in this case. So we know that Rick last saw Beth Ellen at 2.30 in the morning. Um, His roommates didn't get back to the apartment until 3.30. So that left Rick with like an hour long time frame where he has no alibi other than to say like, I was just chilling at home. Mm. And that's okay. That one I'm going to overlook because like that would be hard because let's say like, you know, I come home from school and then something bad happens. And then just because I happened to be home alone where nobody can corroborate, I get that. Like I wouldn't want to, you know, find him guilty because of that. Now the car thing, I'm still hanging on to that. I'm not letting that go yet. I'm like you. I don't think that the lack of an alibi really like implicates him in any way. But the fact Mm -hmm. that he showed up like at the like abandoned car scene is something that like I keep going back to. But again, doesn't necessarily make him guilty. He literally could have maybe he already checked the other direction. He was like coming back the other way. I don't know, but that's a possibility. Unless this was a place that they frequented often, like if they often went to this car lot or maybe this is a spot where like, like if she's this escort, like whatever the, you know, business guy she works for, I say guy, it could be business girl, whoever she works for, like maybe this is where they meet before she goes to these jobs, like. I mean, maybe there could be a reason, but then if that were true, you'd think that he would have told police that. Exactly. And there's not really more, there's not really any more, like, investigation involving Rick past, like, the failed polygraph test and the no alibi and the car thing. Hmm. Which tells me there's no physical evidence. Yes, agreed. And then the second person that also this lead or investigation portion goes nowhere is the man that she was going to dance for. So apparently this man had been on a binge of drugs, drinking and hiring dancers for about 24 hours when Beth oh. is supposed to arrive. Is at this a bachelor party? I think Something? it's just the dude alone in the part in the hotel room. Okay. That I find that creepy too. Yes. <laughs> Um, but like in fact he was so like inebriated and had been dealing with so many escorts during that like 24 hour period he is unable to definitively tell police if he saw Beth Ellen that night or if he did not that's a bad problem right because I feel like that kind of hinges on things Mm because but They are several months later 
And I don't, I cannot find how they figured this out, but they are able to determine a couple months later that the man, like, she never arrived at the hotel. Okay. And I don't, I never read how they were able to determine that. Maybe they used like street cameras and stuff. Cause I mean, that technology has been around for a while. I definitely, or something, or maybe the hotel lobby has a camera. Yeah, I definitely went with maybe they hypnotized the high dude and found out that she was never there, but Mm. that's just me. (laughs) (laughs) We have seen hypnosis in some of the cases. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So, not out of the realm of possibility. Yes, but (laughs) after I like read more about just basically how high and wasted he was, like, I don't think. Even if she had popped into the hotel, I don't know that he would have been able to murder her. Not and because she wasn't even near the hotel, her car wasn't, nor was her body found near the hotel. Right. And he was like super wasted, so I don't think he would have been able to kill anyone. And again, we established the one shoe in the car yes. shows that she was taken from the car. Right. So in my mind, I am saying, okay, something has happened to her on her way to work or her, this, this job. Her parents believe that Beth was trying to actually escape the life that she had found herself in. They felt that she was overwhelmed and that she was getting like too deep into this lifestyle that just wasn't for her. And they, like kind of piggyback on the fact that her car was packed with her clothes and all of her possessions. But they believe that she was on her way home to re re enroll in high school, graduate and get her life back on track. Um, For me though, if this theory is true, then I have to assume that because Beth was getting out of this like escort ring, she made someone mad like, mad enough to chase her down, get her to pull over, and then to kill her. See, I don't know. I think that's wishful thinking on the parents' part. Like, I mm-hmm. get why they would want to think that. I do think it's bizarre that she has so much stuff in her car. Mm-hmm. Especially if she does have a place down there. Unless she was lying about that. And maybe, like like you said earlier, you didn't know if that was her boyfriend's apartment or like when they shared together, like maybe she was kind of living out of her car. That's true. And to go back to Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders, some of the girls do that until they find an apartment. Yep. So, I mean, it could be something like that. And like, I mean, really assumptions are kind of all that we have to go on. Um, Police are able to deduce that Beth Ellen probably struggled with her attacker, And that's the reason that a shoe was left behind. Um, We can guess also because the car door was left open. So it was kind of like in a rush. They are able to determine that she put up a good fight um, trying to like fend off her attacker, which kind of makes me think like, I feel like we should have DNA evidence in this case. Yep. I was just thinking that because I was thinking, what about under her fingernails? Like even with decomposition there, I would think that there would be some under there or like, on the steering wheel or something. Or like the door handle. Yeah, the door handle. Because if she's going to be pulled out, then you'd think there would be. And her family says 
there's no way that she would have pulled over for someone that she didn't know. So they are saying it had to have been somebody that she knew and trusted enough to pull off the side of the road. And I have to agree with them. Just, I mean, not even with the fact that like she wouldn't pull over for a stranger, but the fact that she was stabbed, like we said, is such a personal way to kill someone. I feel like it almost had to be someone who knew her and had a, like a, like a personal issue with her or have anger with her, you know? Yeah. And like, that also reminds me of the Paige Rinkowski case. And like, cause we kind of talked about that. Like, who would you pull over for? Mm-hmm. Especially, you know, at thinking about Beth Ellen here, you know, in the middle of the night. And the only people I can think of is if I knew that, someone I knew, you know, was in a car behind me or in front of me or whatever, or if it were an officer. Oh, I hadn't even thought of that. Because we talked about that with the Paint Rinkowski case. And like, those are the only things that I can think of that I would, you know, pull over for. And at night too, I mean, if she's like near warehouses, I mean, you know, around here, there are some like, businesses and stuff that'll have like you know malls have mall security or whatever Mm -hmm. like it makes me wonder if like any of these warehouses had like warehouse security where like it would look like a cop car I mean I would still pull over Mm -hmm. you know and I think most people would like anything like that I don't know that's my theory and you know, I think the sad thing with her case, which I really like didn't read too much where this was brought up, but like we've covered several cases where prostitutes have gone missing. And sadly, like the public and authorities kind of say, well, it's just like a result of their lifestyle that they disappeared or, you know, they were murdered because they're a prostitute. That's sad. Like, Nobody deserves that. No family deserves that. Exactly. Like, regardless of what they do as a like career or to earn money to pay their bills or feed their family, like they're still people at the end of the day. Right. And they deserve justice. I couldn't agree more. So the homicide detective that was actually assigned to Beth Ellen's case back in 1994 um, said at a news conference, and I believe this was like the 20th anniversary of Beth Ellen's death that he still believed the case could be solved and that someone somewhere had to know has to know something that would lead to a break in the case. Um, and there was actually an article called Goldsboro Teens Murder Still Unsolved 20 Years Later that that same investigator is quoted to say, um, quote, if you've been living with this for 20 years, if you've been carrying around a burden for 20 years, it may be weighing on you and it may be time for you to remove that weight, end quote. Mm. let's just hope that you know again that's why we cover these cases that are lesser known because maybe somebody somewhere will hear it and be like you know this person I know wasn't at home that night and Mm -hmm. you know was super interested in the case right after or you know something Mm -hmm. Some detail. Taking a leap of faith and moving from home to chase your dreams takes a lot of courage. 
We know that Beth Ellen was filled with courage, courage to move away from home, courage to leave her previous life behind, to become who she wanted to be, courage to chase a dream at all costs. Now it's someone else's turn to be brave. This case has been unsolved for too long. Someone saw something or overheard something. By this point, they have had to. We need you to be brave and give those tips to police. If you killed Beth Ellen, be brave and turn yourself in. Have enough courage to give this family peace. Beth and her family deserve to know who killed her and why she had to die. Sleuth hounds, we've seen cold cases be solved. And this could be one case that we could solve together. Share this case. Keep talking about Beth Ellen Vinson. Help us solve her case. If you have any information concerning Beth, please contact your local FBI office or your nearest American embassy or consulate. Again, please like and join us on our Facebook page, Coffee and Cases Podcast, to continue the conversation and to see images related to this episode. As always, follow us on Instagram at Coffee Cases Podcast and on TikTok at Coffee and Cases Podcast. Or you can always email us suggestions to coffeeandcasespodcast at gmail.com. Please tell your friends about our podcast so that more people can be reached to possibly help bring some closure to these families. Don't forget to rate our show and leave us a comment as well. We hope to hear from you soon. Stay together. Stay safe. We'll We'll see see you next week. week.